Welcome to episode 337 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Tuesday, 5th of September 2023. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. I'm Carlton Reed, and over the next two episodes, uploaded at once, I talk to the folks in charge of cycle routing apps, Bike Map of Austria and Cycle.Travel of Oxfordshire. Episode 338 is with Bike Map's Chief Operations Officer, Bruna du Gemeres, but this episode is a chat with Cycle.Travel's Richard Fairhurst. Both interviews were done remotely, with me firing up the desktop versions and playing with the smartphone apps. So here's Richard. Yeah, so I, I live in a little place called Chalbury, which is about 20 miles outside Oxford, um, just on the edge of the Cotswolds. Um, and a lovely little town uh, on the National Cycle Network, which is always good. Also has a train station, which is um, good for somewhere this size. I think uh, Mr. Beeching must have uh, overlooked us somehow. But yeah, um, a lovely place and uh, very cycling friendly, which is good. That kind of helps for what you do then. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, and uh, it's it's always been... Um, I mean, obviously, Oxford and Oxfordshire is a uh, a bit of a hotbed of cycling in a lot of ways. Um, but yes, as I say, we have a national cycle network um, route going pretty much past my house. Uh, and that was actually something that I was involved in setting up. I'm a Sustrans volunteer uh, in this part of the world and help design the route. And one of the things I've always tried to do with cycle travel is have it so that uh, it will find you a route which is good as good as a human designer um that if you want to go from i don't know um oxford to let's say coventry or something like that uh, and no one has set out a route uh, that goes that way then within the confines of the infrastructure it should find you the best route possible at least that's the plan so in another um hotbed of cycling cambridgeshire mm. you have um cycle streets and cycle streets that that i know because i use them for my my the, the bike hub app many many years ago now their their cleverness comes from um the way that it, it roots so it's the routing engine is is the the real powerhouse there and lots of sites and lots of maps have used that routing engine for their own apps but you've clearly you're using open street map we'll get into that in a second but so how are you physically generating the route so when you said that it's like a human how do you make your routing engine like a human? Okay, so uh, this is an interesting one. So I think uh, cycle streets, I have huge amounts of uh, time for. I know uh, Martin quite well. We've worked on a couple of projects together. Um, their, uh, their angle is more towards commuting and practical everyday um, 
cycling um cycle travel uh, you can use it for commuting and people do um but it also has really quite a strong tilt towards leisure cycling and touring and longer rides like that so if you are going from Lansdowne to John Groot, uh, then cycle travel will find you a good route if you go from New York to San Francisco it will hopefully find you a good route but as you say uh, it's all about the routing engine uh, the routing engine, effectively, with any route planner, is a set of opinions. It's a set of opinions about which road is good to uh, cycle on and which one isn't. Um, cycle travel's opinions are you know, obviously very much aligned to mine, uh, but also I've been involved in OpenStreetMap for 19 years now, uh, uh, pretty much since the first few months of the project, uh, and know how the data works there quite well. So there's a lot of sort of little things there saying, you know, if we're going along a track in France and it's rated as a grade two track, well, actually, the French mappers are a bit more, um, a bit more optimistic mystic about the state of their um, unpaved tracks and the British mappers. So let's mark it down a little bit because you know, that's how they map things in France. So it's the sort of the accumulation of all of that sort of knowledge um, pretty much gives cycle travel its, its personality, but also its opinions on what sort of route to follow. So clearly cycle streets, the streets part is the clue there yeah. and the dot travel is the clue there so that's 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 how you're differentiating it's just you're more long distance in effect yeah absolutely yes it's uh, it very much does it says on the tin and I remember the first time in the sort of first couple of years of the site that someone emailed me and said, uh, I've just used it to plan a route from Shropshire to Rome. Uh, mm-hmm. It was absolutely great. Uh, it took me down a farm track in France, which I would rather not have cycled along. Yeah. But apart from that, it was spot on. And I thought, yeah, you know, OK, th- this is what it's meant to be about. Um, th- this is the idea. Mm. And if you've spent nearly 19 years on OpenStreetMap, you're nearly on 10 years for cycle so 2014 is, is one of the first references i can find online maybe you were doing it before then so is that 2014 when you started or was it a bit before it was end of um 2013 so mm. a little bit of background um this is kind of it's a bit of a change of career for me um before this uh, i was a magazine editor uh, i used to edit a magazine called waterways world which if you know anything about uh, canals boats rivers that sort of thing you may have stumbled across uh, and um, boating waterways is always something i've done um and for one of the magazines i'd worked for i'd got into the um habit of drawing the maps for it because we needed a map to show where the canals went uh and i sort of fell into cartography that way and from there it was a reasonably obvious thing because i love cycling i always love cycling um to start to draw cycle maps and as i went along i thought you know a maybe i can make a bit more of a career out of this but also um i see these routing sites out there um i see that you can ask um google or whatever it might be for a route from oxford to worcester and it's not the route that i would want to cycle along i do not feel happy with choosing the routes that it's selected so i'm going to have go do my own and it's absolutely taken off from there and you know i've been delighted with how much people enjoy it mm. and there's also heritage magazine <laughs> yes, you're working indeed, for indeed. so you, you've you've had a, a, a so describe that trajectory waterways world heritage magazine it, it, did you train in that did, did what was your <laughs> how did you get into that in the 
to begin with? Okay, so um, age uh, 14 or 15 or so, I was your archetypal 1980s computer geek. Uh, and I had a uh, Amstrad home computer. You might remember those. Um, mm-hmm. Not that dissimilar to Spectrums and things like that. Uh, and uh, I had to play around with it, as teenagers tend to, and got reasonably okay at programming things on it. Uh, and for through one thing or another, uh, I ended up being the freelance technical writer uh, for a magazine called Amstrad Action. Uh, and Amstrad Action has a bit of a cycling connection in that it was the first magazine ever published by Future Publishing. It started mm. the entire company off. Uh, mm. And you know, obviously, they, they went on to do Cycling Plus and all the mountain bike magazines and cycling news and things like that. Uh, so that's all Amstrad Action's fault, ultimately. Um, I then went to off to university, but I'd got started in um, in journalism after this. So it came as a reasonably obvious thing to do after university uh, to go for jobs on magazines. I already had this on my CV. Uh, and because I enjoyed boating, I went to the canal magazines, first of all. I then spent a while um, as, as you say, editing Heritage magazine, which was a um, sister magazine to the Canal magazine I'd worked at at the time. And that that was an interesting experience because you think, okay, Heritage magazine, it's all about going around the countryside and um, country houses and that sort of thing. It must be quite a nice, fluffy thing to mm-hmm. work on. And it is. Um, but on the other hand, actually 90% of the readership were Americans and they knew huge amounts about uh, country houses and about Shakespeare and all of that. You know, this was their identity. They loved um, the old country, as it were. Uh, And I've never been that great on Shakespeare, to be honest. So I spent a few months there and it was good fun. But I said, after that, I'm going going back to the canals. I'm going to write about canals because I know about that. On your your side, you describe yourself as an OpenStreetMap activist. So that's not just a contributor you're a bit more than just a contributor on OpenStreet. So I was, I was trying to find out the, the segue from um, uh, Heritage Magazine, Waterways World, into uh, how you got into being quite active on the OpenStreetMap community. Yeah. So um, as, as you say, um, I'd, I'd spent all this time with cycling magazines and sorry, uh, with, with waterway magazines and then got into drawing the maps for them. And, there's always been the problem with any map that you've got to get the source data from somewhere, unless you literally go out and survey absolutely everything yourself, mm-hmm. which gets practical when you're doing a whole new canal every month. Then you've got to get the data from somewhere. And in, historically in Britain, you would get it from the Ordnance Survey. Um, and at the time, Ordnance Survey would basically charge you through the nose through uh, for any data that they might deign to have. They're so much better now, but that was the case back then. Um, and I kind of worked out that, well, the thing about canals is they haven't moved much. Mm-hmm. Most of them were built before 1850. <laughs> so if I can find some old maps, um, mm. some out of copyright maps, <laughs> then I can just trace the canals off there. And, you know, we're, we're fine. We've, we've all of a sudden got our sort of data. So and this became, <laughs> this became a little bit of a, a a project and i ended up collecting the entirety of the ordnance survey one inch maps of england and wales uh, for the 1930s and 1940s uh, which was at the time the last set that were out of copyright mm. so i did that 
I found a place that would scan stuff in bulk for you uh, and uh, said, you know, will you be prepared to scan this? And they said, yep, two quid a map, we'll do it. So I gave them 150 maps. They gave me a DVD with scans of them all on, which was quite something. Uh, and then this guy called Steve Coast started OpenStreetMap. And all of a sudden I think, well, hang on. Uh, this is, A, it's a really interesting project uh, for what he's doing, but also I've got all these old maps and it's not just canals that haven't moved. Most of the railways, lots of country roads, lots of rivers, obviously. Um, maybe this would be an interesting angle to work together on this. So this was about four months after OpenStreetMap had started. Uh, I said, OK, uh, I'm interested in maps. I've got this sort of stuff going on. Um, I'd like to be part of this. And so I've been as that as part of OpenStreetMap from its very early days and you know in the first year we literally had about six or seven or eight paths and roads in regent's park and that was the sum total of the world map mm -hmm. uh, and now it's everything it's everything everywhere it's astonishing how it's come and i think you know my great uh surprise for how the project was taking off was i i don't know maybe sort of seven or eight years into the project uh, i went on holiday to china uh, and it was one of these sort of things where uh, obviously you've, you've got fairly limited freedom of movement there but we you know we had good guests uh, good, good guides and um a, a good itinerary planned out and all of that uh and we were walking on some fairly obscure paths in um a rice farming area and the Chinese government is very anxious about people surveying their country. Uh, they don't like it. You know, you've got to have all of these um, permits uh, to allow you to do this. And they don't give permits to OpenStreetMap volunteers. And mm. so this this is a bit of a problem. But as a uh, good OpenStreetMap activist, I can't not survey where I've gone. You know, this is unthinkable. Uh, so I had a little Garmin GPS recording a track uh, tucked into my side pocket, hoping that no one was going to notice it. Uh, and okay, fine. Uh, I do that. I get a, a bunch of railways as well, because we travel around by train, um, get all of this stuff, go back home, ready to upload this into OpenStreetMap, ready to map it. And I find out it's already been done. It's already been done by a bunch of Germans who've been to China on holiday uh, and have done all of this six months, a year before me. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, okay, this is taking off. Uh, if even these remote places in China where you go to are being mapped, by volunteers then this is really going to go somewhere and mm. it has you know now uh now facebook now microsoft now amazon all of these big companies use OpenStreetMap, and that's the thing we started building 19 years ago mm. and then you're talking about the, the in effect uh, one of a better word a bunch of geeks basically yeah okay, um, totally. <laughs> um, um uh, you know taking uh, gps tracks and then uploading and then then digitizing etc etc so that tends to be geeks. I think I, I can't be too yeah, rude yeah. by saying it. Um, yeah. But doing all that for, as, a, as a volunteer, you know, that's very, it, 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 it takes a lot of time, obviously a lot of expertise, but then you're translating that into into a business. So with, with your, with, with cycle.travel mm. um, and, and why do you charge? So why, why is cycle.travel not charging and other, other um, navigation um, sites, uh, websites, and and apps that are bike friendly, uh, bike friendly routing. They do charge. So so, um, Richard, why don't you charge? <laughs> I could talk for hours about uh, cycle navigation apps, uh, business models. It's a fascinating subject, or at least it is to me. Uh, so 
If you look at the really big guys, then you look at people like Strava or Kamut or whoever it might be. Um, their, you know, their business model, as you say, is very much based on charging. The standard thing for this sort of site is that, oh, this sort of app in particular, is that you pay five pounds a month mm. and get turn by turn routing and you get offline maps and things like that. Now, the thing about, um, Strava and Kamut is they have got a staff of thousands or I think Kamut employ about 120 people. Uh, They have got marketing budgets um, commensurate with that. These are the big guys. Uh, I am me sitting in a little converted barn in the back of my house in Chalbury. I can't compete on that level. So I'm not going to fight that game. Uh, Instead, what I try and do is say, okay, I'm going to put this up there. I really hope that it finds good routes for people. I find, uh, yeah, I hope that someone who is going to use it to go from Shropshire to Rome, or we've just had um, someone going across America with it. We have people doing uh, routes across France, across Britain all the time. I hope that people will do that, find a good route, and be so uh, happy with the site that they choose to donate. So what you can do with Cycle Travel is you can become a supporter. Uh, you can give £2 a month or £5 a month, whatever you see fit. Uh, and, you know, you do get a few extra baubles for that. You get a few maps, which I have to pay for. So Ordnance Survey maps, uh, IGN in France, that sort of thing. But by and large, it's largely the same. But I hope that people will be sufficiently happy with the site and with the routes that it finds for them, um, that they will choose to support it. And they do. Um, you know, uh, there's now uh, hundreds of people who have signed up to become supporters of um, cycle travel. It pays its own way in terms of server costs and all of that. It's getting towards paying its own way in terms of uh, my time on it. I think you know, I'm not that far off. And that that's brilliant because it means I can spend more time doing what I love. And it means that people get um, great holidays, great bike routes. So that's absolutely what I'm in it for. Mm. So as you said, there are quite a few other sites and and apps out there um what are they doing well and what are they not doing well can you can you be rude in that way (laughs) okay so well i'll I'll tell you the easy one which is the site that i have absolutely the most respect for and that's rise with gps i think they are brilliant uh they really know their audience uh their proposition is quite different from what i do their proposition is more about organizing routes saving routes saving rides um they've got an absolute suite of editing tools for your routes all sorts of things that uh, you know i would never dream of doing a month of sundays um i think you know obviously i am biased i, I think their core a to b routing is not as strong as uh, cycle travels. It will put you on a busy road more often than I do. But I think, you know, for their audience, what they do is absolutely fantastic. They're bootstrapped. They haven't taken external funding. Mm. They've got a small team of about, I think, 15 to 20 people working in Portland in Oregon, another great cycling city. Uh, and what they do is brilliant. So, yeah. What I was going to say, which is nice about other people, I mean, you know, both both Strava and Komuta ecosystems, really. Uh, you know, Strava, for a lot of people, is cycling. Um, Komoot has all of this stuff where it gets you into their apps and all of the um, um, you know, save your highlights and all of that sort of thing, uh, which is the sort of thing you've got. Uh, you've got 120 people to do, and they pay influencers to go out and have great rides and mm. say, you know, 
did this with Kaboot and that sort of thing. It's it's a different level of doing things, and you know, I I have um, uh, I have plenty of time for them. Uh, as I say, you know, cycle travel's strength, I think, is the is the routing and the actual routes that it will find for you. Uh, but yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of time for that. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, cycle streets. Cycle streets have been doing this for a long time, longer than I have. Um, they have absolutely got the city routing uh, down to a T. Uh, if you are going across London or Cambridge, then cycle streets will find you a terrific route and always has done. So yeah, uh, and another obviously another great thing that cycle streets does is that they do a lot of advocacy type work. Mm. Um, they work with um, Robin Lovelace at uh, Active Travel England now. They do stuff with local authorities. And in fact, the other year, I was involved in a project with them and TfL um, because TfL, TfL a few years ago um, spent, I think, £2 million on producing this cycle infrastructure database, which is this massive collection of data on every single bit of cycle infrastructure in London. It's uh, quite an endeavour. And this was fine. And they used it for their own, their own purposes. And it was just sitting there. And they thought, well, hang on. If we get this data into OpenStreetMap, uh, then we can actually get it out there and used by people. So you get it into OpenStreetMap, it then feeds into all the different mapping apps. And uh, then you know, people will start to be able to use this knowledge that TfL have gathered about where all the good infrastructure is. And so we spent a few months working on that. It has started to filter through. uh, And you will find now that most of the mapping apps, not just me, not just Cycle Streets, uh, will now make better decisions in London as a result of this. Mm. A nice follow-up about this is that TfL then uh, last year had a cycle routing summit, and they invited me for cycle travel, uh, Martin from Cycle Streets, and a bunch of other people from the big guys, so from Apple, from Google, and such like. And basically, they put Martin and me up on stage and said, okay, so this is cycle travel, this is cycle streets. They are finding good routes across London, and we would like you from Apple and you from Google to talk to these guys and find out how they're doing it because they're finding better routes. And we, if we're going to spend £2 billion on building cycle superhighways across London, we sure as heck want your apps to direct people to use them. And at that point, they weren't doing it. Um, I think you know Apple are doing quite interesting things with cycle routing in cities uh, and they're starting to do that. Google, I mean, Google have a product for cycle routing, but it's it's tuned to San Francisco and it doesn't necessarily work that well in the rest of the world. Some places it does. Yeah. So Apple, you're right. I mean, Apple, Apple is, is, is doing some very interesting things, obviously have got very, very deep pockets yeah. and, and can do interesting things. Do you think even with the deepest pocket in the world, you're never really going to catch up with OpenStreetMap? Or do you think something like Apple could... You know, the way that they're mapping everything, their satellites, you know, they're sending cars around, they're sending probably bikes around and, and pedestrians around, a bit like Google Street View are doing. And then everything is, you know, obviously red. So, you know, you're getting the speed limit is red from the roundels that the, the cameras are, the AI are spotting. Or do you think there'll always be something about the the crowdsourced nature of OpenStreetMap that will always beat no matter how much money you pump into a map. Absolutely, yes. Uh, OpenStreetMap's great strength is that it is uh, an agglomeration of local knowledge. Basically, every single contributor brings their local knowledge to the map. So if you know about a little cut through, 
then um, you put that into OpenStreetMap. Uh, it might only be 10, 15 meters between two streets, but it could save two miles mm. off a bike route. Um, and that goes in, that instantly makes everyone's ride better. Uh, it's very, very difficult for even the best Street View cameras and AI processing to pick up that level of detail. And so I think OpenStreetMap has always got that knowledge, but also OpenStreetMap is to a large extent, built by cyclists. Certainly in Britain, we found that a lot of the earliest OSM contributors were cyclists who wanted a decent map for cycling and couldn't get one anywhere else. It's really noticeable that one of the earliest um, breakthroughs in the project was when some smart guy figured how to reverse engineer the mapping format for Garmin GPSs. So within a few months of this, people had got OpenStreetMap on their Garmin's uh, as the base map all of a sudden. And it had all of these cut-throughs in, and it had the NCN in, it had all of this sort of thing. Uh, and that, obviously, that then made people's bike routing experience, the cycling experience, so much better. And I think it would be very, very hard for um, Apple and Google with all the AI in the world to catch up with that. They will be able to give you the best freeway routing experience in San Francisco mm -hmm. because they've got, you know, surveying cars going along with, uh, uh, with cameras on every single angle, but they don't put that sort of effort into cycling. And last week, I think it was actually on one of the Silicon Valley tech forums, there was an anonymous poster from uh, someone who used to work for Google Maps uh, saying, yeah, I, I used to work there. And uh, I tried to put a bit more effort into the cycle routing. And it got stomped on from on high for privacy reasons. Um, they said, no, we can't really do this. Uh, and they don't work there anymore. And they said, you know, cycling isn't really a priority for Google, to be honest. Uh, it doesn't make them a lot of money mm. uh they are they're ultimately a self-driving car company these mm. days mm. um open street map is to a large extent made by cyclists it's in our interest to make the routing better mm. so with, the, with your heritage magazine background i don't know how much mm. you know about cycling history but of course cyclists have always been um really keen on mapping um you know the the, the bartholomew maps the you know, cyclists are very interested in the you know the the the, the route books that cyclists created in the 1870s, 1880s, yeah, they're, they're incredibly interested in in road surfaces. And I've written whole books about this. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, very yes. interested, but in, just in mapping in general. So like the CTC, uh, were, Cyclist Touring Club, uh, as was, very, very involved um, with the mapping companies. You know, one of the maps I used in my book was a... Uh, which with the CTC was in, heavily involved with for a long time and was used, basically using crowdsourcing to, to do this, uh, an early version of OpenStreetMap, uh, yes, where, yeah. they were, where they were mapping um, road surfaces. So there was a, there was a, a Bartholomew map um, where every single street surface uh, was mapped. And if you look at the bottom, how was this mapped? It was done by cyclists who were then contributing, you know, to their, their information to the local council. He was then putting it, or she was, probably he, was putting it through to um, uh, Bartholomew. And then they produced these incredibly detailed maps of, you know, here's where the tarmac was, here's where the asphalt was, uh, not asphalt, here's where the macadam was, here's where the wooden streets were. And it's these incredibly dense almost open street map dense maps of london and done by cyclists in the 18 1890s so you are in a rich tradition there richard 
<laughs> Absolutely. And and that's that's terrific because again, it's looking at um cycling has never had the money that's behind the auto industry. Uh if you are Apple or Google, then it's in your financial interest to plow huge amounts of money into um into car routing because that's where the money is um cyclists as you say do it for themselves uh and always have done and i think OpenStreetMap is a great example of that we we found in the early days in britain that actually cyclists were keener on it than walkers because walkers have always had fabulous maps in Mm. britain they have the ordnance survey and we've always had a a bit of resistance there you say say to people come and contribute to OpenStreetMap. Uh, you can put all your favorite hiking paths on it and say well why would i want to do that i've got an os map whereas cyclists got it from day one they knew that there was nothing out there at the time that was giving them a decent map and so yeah right I, i can get this i'm going there to put all my favorite roads in it Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, I'm going to I'm going to go across to my colleague in America right now for a, 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 a brief uh, interlude, a commercial interlude. Uh, however, when we come back, I, I would like to basically you talk me through uh, how to to use uh, the the online version and the 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 one that I've got on my 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 smartphone, my iPhone. So take it away, David. This podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn understand that while a large cargo bike can carry oodles of stuff, many of us prefer something, well, a little more manageable. That's why they've come up with the HSDE cargo bike for folks with big aspirations to go car-free, delivered in a compact size. With its rear shock to 80 kilos and a combined hauling capacity of 180 kilos, The robust new HSD is stable and easy to maneuver, even when under load. And with its Bosch e-bike system tested and certified to meet the highest UL standards for electric and fire safety, you'll be able to share many worry-free adventures with a loved one, whether it's your kiddo or nan. Visit www.turnbicycles.com to learn more. Thanks, David. And we are back with Richard Fairhurst. And before um, uh, David's ad break there, or uh, David's, um, not his ad break, but Turn's ad break, uh, uh, narrated by David. Thank you very much, David. Um, uh, I was asking uh, Richard if he would guide me. So give me, so on the, on the, um, on the website and on the, the app, there is a, a section which actually says how to use the app and, and, and you can, you know, drill down. But can you, and I know this is like, you know, the world of radio here. Uh, so it's difficult. It's, it's not visual, but just if you can basically take what, what do I start with? What, what are the things that as a, an absolute beginner, when I'm opening up either on the uh, desktop or on the, the, the smartphone, what should I be looking for? And, and and give me some tips on being a power user. Get me straight into being a power user that how you would use this app. When say you, Richard, you 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 you're either pla- give me two versions where you are planning, say, a holiday somewhere you've never been to before, and uh when you're physically there on the ground with your smartphone. So give me the power user tips. Give me give me the the, the startup guide, even though this is purely uh audio and not visual okay so cycle travel uh the url that you type into your web browser is simply that it's just cycle.travel or you can google it of course and you go straight there to the home page and it will give you uh two boxes where you type in where you're going from and where you're going to so i am sitting here with a site now i shall type mm-hmm. in 
classic test that I'm going to go from Land's End. <laughs> it, it, it auto completes it, so that's fine. It says Land's End, Cornwall, UK. Uh, UK. Okay, right, I'll do the same. Uh, John O'Groats, and actually, um, second one down, John O'Groats, Caithness, Scotland. That's what we want. Yeah. So I do that. It has found me a route. And you will see that the route opens up on the map. Uh, you have got the line there with mile markers every 100 miles. Uh, it says it's 992 miles, which sounds about right. You've got a bunch of little tools that you can use to play around with the route on the left. But the core of it is on the right. And that's the map. It's broken it down into the um, various different types. So it says you're 71% on paved road, 14% uh, on paved path. You notice only 8% on busy roads. And this really tells you about the sort of routing that cycle travel likes doing. Mm. Um, people will cycle from Lands End to John Groats and spend 100 miles going up the marches on the A49, not mm. into that sort of thing. Uh, it's all about quiet roads, um, things like old railway paths, decent quality tow paths, that sort of thing. So it has found this route. Um, the power user tip, and you can go absolutely wild with this, is that you can then drag it. So you get your mouse, you hold the mouse down on a bit and then you drag it to where you want to go so let's say i want it to go through oxford i have just done that and it has now found me the best route it can from land's end to john groats via oxford mm -hmm. and either via point has a little one on it so that is the first via point let's put another one in we're going to go through lincoln uh number two you can put up to 200 in there, and people do. Uh, I have yeah. seen the most amazing intricate routes that people will plot with that. Uh, and that's that. Okay, so what we can then do is let's have a look at this. It's 1,074 miles. Now, you're not going to cycle that in a day. I realise that uh, we're recording this a few days after uh, uh, Paris, Brest, Paris, and there are mm. people listening who probably do this sort of thing in a few days, but um, I'm not going to do this in a day, certainly. So you will see on the left, this it says under route summary, total length 1,074 miles, uh, suggest overnight stops. So I'm going to click that. And it suggests that if we're taking an average distance per day of 60 miles, then we can do it in 18 days. And there's a little button on either side of 18 days. We can make that a bit shorter or longer. So let's take it down to 14 days because that's a kind of common way of doing Lands and John Groats. Uh, and OK, that's taken us up to 77 miles a day. Let's say we've got to get the train to Penzance on the first day. So that's going to reduce our cycling time there. So we tick short first day. That's fine tick split and you will see that it's put these points along the way each of which has got a, a little moon symbol on and there are overnight stops mm. and there are five points as well so you can drag those around and you'll see so it's suggesting places we might want to stop um one of those let's say let's have a look in um it's found one which is between bridgewater and glastonbury which sounds like a nice part of the world so what i'm going to do i'm going to click that on the map and you'll see a little bubble pops up and it says, OK, this is um, a via point. Um, it's on a minor road. We know all that sort of stuff. And you'll see a bunch of links for stuff you can do there. One of those links is nearby accommodation. So I'm going to click that. And you see there are a bunch of icons show up. And those are for campsites and for B&Bs and for hotels that are near the place we've selected. Uh, you can turn different types of those off. So I'm going to say I'm I want I don't want chain hotels, I want individual ones. That's good. So here we go. We have found Sunnyside Bread and Breakfast. That sounds nice. Uh, so I click that, 
it brings up a little window about it. I can check availability and book, click through on that. And that takes me straight through to booking.com. And that will give me a chance to book that for whatever days I'm interested in. So I can clear that out of the way. Something that people are always interested in is elevation, uh, how much climbing you've got to do. And Cycle Travel, of course, has an elevation graph. That's one of the icons on the left. So I'm going to click that show elevation and it comes up with the elevation graph. What is important here is that it has broken it down into every individual day. So I can see that, for example, on the second day, uh, because we're going through Cornwall and Cornwall is like that, uh, we've got 1700 metres of elevation. So that's going to be a tough one. Mm. Uh, you can take your mouse along there, click on an individual point, and it will take you to that particular point on the map. Actually, I recognise that. Um, I've written that several times. That's the place just above Camelford where it's sort of an old air base and you've got this uh, dead pancake uh, uh, pancake straight road uh, at the top of a hill and there is always a headwind. Seriously, I must have mm-hmm. ridden that three or four times and there is always a headwind. Uh, so yeah, you can find your way through the route like that. You'll also see if you click anywhere on the route, it doesn't have to be a via point, you can just click anywhere on the blue line. Uh, then when the window comes up, uh, with a little pop-up window, you've got two things at the bottom. One says find photos and the other says street view. Street view is fairly self-explanatory. That will open Google Street View at that particular place. Um, so if you're not sure about what a route's going to be like, you can eyeball it before you set off. Obviously, the disadvantage of street view is that uh, Google sends its street view cars along roads. It doesn't send them along tracks or mm. cycleway that often. Uh, so there's also see photos. Uh, click that and you'll hopefully find a bunch of photos uh, crop up, especially on bridleways, uh, railway paths, that sort of thing. And so you can have a bit of a look at what the surface is going to be there. And that comes from an absolutely fantastic project called Geograph, which is another crowdsourced mm. community-based uh, collection of photos uh, from people who have been taking pictures of every single part of the uh, British Isles for, mm. yeah, again, 20 years now. Uh, so that's where that comes from. I said blue line earlier. It's not always a blue line. Sometimes it's a green line. And when it's a green line, um, that's because it's an off-road section um, or a, a, an unpaved section, I should say. Uh, so you might find occasionally that will take you along a canal towpath. It will try and keep you on towpaths and railway paths that are a reasonably good cyclable surface. Um, you know, I absolutely cringed when uh, I think Google Maps first brought out cycle routing. They'd spoken to the Canal and River Trust and got their towpath data. And so it sent you along towpaths at every single opportunity, including the Shropshire Union Canal, which as anyone who cycled it will know, uh, is basically a reenactment of the Somme. It's just a quagmire for uh, miles on end. Uh, and so, you know, towpaths are not always the same. Cycle travel tries to send you along the good ones and not the bad ones. Um, but all of this, as I say, it's a fairly balanced type of route choice. It likes quiet roads. It likes scenic roads. It likes good quality tracks. You can also choose a couple of other um, route profiles, as it were. Uh, there's one which is gravel cycling. Mm. Uh, and that will accentuate the off-road. Again, you know, it will try not to send you on absolute quagmires. Um, this depends how much data there is an open street map about surface quality but where it knows these things it will try and do that um there's also a paved option that you can choose and that will try and keep you on paved roads uh, or paved cycle paths whenever it can um for a, a bit of uh in 
sort of city routing as well. Uh, there's also a nighttime option. This is fairly new and experimental, but what that will do is try and keep you on roads and paths that are going to be well lit. Mm. And so uh, this came actually from um, an idea, I think it was um, Ruth Anna McQueen had on um, Twitter. She said, you know, I, I want to go uh, cycle back from places in London in the winter. And I don't particularly want to cycle along the Regent's Canal or across mm. various parks in um, in winter. And I totally get that. You know, it's uh, you know, cycling is supposed to be enjoyable and part of being enjoyable is safe. So the nighttime option will try and keep you off that sort of thing. Mm. So you've got those those four options. If you're using it in different parts of the world, you might not have all of the options. So I don't do gravel routing in the States as yet, but it's there across Britain and Europe. Um, what else can I tell you? I think the other the other thing, let's clear our Land's End to John O'Groats route out the way. The other thing that I would highlight is that it's not just about A to B routing. You can also do A to B and back to A. So that's a, a round trip. And so let's say I'm going to go from Chalbury to Banbury for an afternoon ride. So I click the two places on the map or type them in in the search boxes. And that has found me a 19 mile route. That's fine. I now have to get home again. I would like to get home a different way. So I click the round trip button and it has found me a slightly different way on the way back. It's um, cleaving slightly less closely to the NCN in this place. In this case, um, few different country routes, still the same sort of route. But um, yeah, so you, you've got a different experience on the way in and out. What you can also do is just click once or type a place once to set your start point and the little green point will show up. That's your start. And then click suggest a ride. And if I do that, then it's got three circular routes that have come out, uh, come up all from Chalbury or around 25 miles, 19, 21, 27 in this case. And they are round trip routes, which will, again, try and stick to country lanes and quiet roads. If I want to go for something a bit longer, then there's a slider I can drag. I drag it up to 75 miles and it's now sending me off into the Northampton countryside or off into the high Cotswolds and that sort of thing. And it's found me a nice circular route for that. And this was quite fun because I, I used to do this and I think it had a maximum of 75 miles. Uh, and mm. I mentioned this to Jack Thurston and he said, oh, no, 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 you've got to take it up to 200 so we can do the Audax thing. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you can now take it up to 250 miles and it will do your ready-made uh, ready Audax. That is for people who are hardier than me, but it will do that if you want to. So there you go. That's the uh, that's the whistle stop tour of the desktop website. Um, if you set up an account, obviously um, all free. Uh, if you set up an account on the website, then you can save your routes. You can put them in folders, all of that sort of thing. And the reason I'm mentioning that you can save your routes is that this then becomes useful if you have the mobile app. Now, the mobile app, as you say, there is an app for the iPhone. Uh, there is one which is literally now in the last days of testing for mm. Android. Uh, so this should be ready in the next few days. It may even be ready by the time podcast is edited, we should see. Uh, and uh, I've had supporters testing that for the uh, last few months. And effectively, you can use the app either as a simple A to B routing tool. So you can fire it up and say, I want to go from my current location to somewhere else. And I'm, so mm. I'm going to type in here, Banbury again, type that, auto-completes in the app, navigate to Banbury, and it has found me a route from here to Banbury. That's fine. Um, but what you can also do is you can use it to navigate along the routes that you have saved from the website. Mm. 
So if I click the little roots icon in the app, then I've got all my folders here. Let's say what I'm going to do. I plotted a nice um, circuit um, around Oxfordshire a few weeks back. I'm going to click that and that all appears on here and it gives you turn by turn directions. So you can just put it on the handlebars and it will say, okay, um, in how many meters you've got a turn coming up. So it says turn right here uh, and do that. Just the map follows you along. Um, all of that. And uh, a nice little fun detail about this on the iPhone app is that I'd, I'd got the app done and I was pleased with it. I thought, you know, okay, this is, this is good. I can, uh, I can have my cycling holiday with this. So a couple of months after I'd finished the app, I went off for a holiday and I went and cycled the new River Seine cycle route uh, from Paris to the coast. And it was brilliant. And literally the first time I used it in a French town, it started saying, turn left along Placy de la République. And I thought, okay, I mean, I know my French is not brilliant, but that is the worst French pronunciation I've ever heard. And it's because the phone has its own native language and it reads everything out in that. So I spent a whole bunch of time trying to coax the phone to work out what the native language was for the street name uh, and to get it to read things out in that. So now if you take the Cycle Travel app and you go to France and it will tell you, turn left on, and then it switches into a French voice, Place de la République, and so on. So mm. it, it's got all of, the, all of these little tweaks that are meant to give you a more enjoyable cycling experience. A lot of the stuff from the website is also in the app, so you can find accommodation, uh, you can switch between the different route types as well. What you can also do uh, in both the app and the website is that you can switch between between different base maps so cycle travel has its own base map uh, as i say i've got a bit of a sort of self-taught cartography background so i designed something which i thought was appropriate for cycling so it brings in uh minor roads when you're zoomed out a lot because that's the important thing you you're more can't, can't see motorways so I'm, I'm basically looking at the map here and it's like oh yeah. where the motorways oh, oh, yes I can, I can if i if i click in i can just about see them but yeah. they're not they're not prominent no exactly exactly it, it's um it's trying to show you the stuff that is important mm -hmm. as a cyclist um but you can also choose a bunch of different base maps uh so you, you get a few uh standards so there's things like sort of obviously open street maps standard style uh and a few others but um quite Quite a lot of these are things that you get as a, a nice little bonus, a nice little uh, bauble if you're a cycle travel supporter. So you get ordnance survey maps because everyone loves ordnance survey maps. You get the equivalent in other countries. So you get IGN in France. You get things like open cycle map, a bit of satellite mapping, all of that. Um, and I find that's uh, particularly useful for the ordnance survey maps because if I'm planning an off-road route, then OSM doesn't as yet have completely full coverage of bridleways and byways and things like that. It's getting there, it's getting much better. Uh, but for absolute um, completeness, you need Ordnance Survey. So I was the other day trying to trace out the new Cycling UK Snowdonia route, uh, and there are a few tracks in that that hadn't made its, uh, their way into OpenStreetMap yet. So I thought, okay, going to have a look at OS. Oh, yeah, going to go around the side of this mountain and through that bit of forestry. An Ordnance Survey, the, one of the, the benefits you know for a for a tourist me as a roman road geek uh would be it tells you all the roman road stuff and it tells you this is a church and this is whereas open street map you know doesn't doesn't have that information unless there's a layer i mean you can certainly put layers on but not like something that uh is there as a default whereas so ordnance survey has that benefit so but that's basically what you're saying is you've got it there yeah 
if if you become a supporter, you've got it there. And 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 the benefit of the the ordnance survey is there should you choose to to go and get it. Absolutely. And, you know, lots of us have grown up with ordnance survey maps. They are evocative. Um, you, if you've spent, you know, your life reading OS maps, you know how to read them. They, they kind of define the countryside in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've mm. just passed over to um, uh, a part of Herefordshire. And you look at this and you can just see the image in your mind. And here we go, you know, uh, uh, we've got Wellington Marsh and Adsa Bank and 118 foot spot height, uh, meter spot height, that sort of thing. And you think, yeah, you know, th- this is the definitive countryside map. And so I like being able to combine cycle travels routing with so the you, OS-based map. So Richard, you've sold me. You've sold me on, on your <laughs> project. How much do I pay? Um, as much as you like. I mean, I, I think the um, uh, the standard thing that I say here is that you can support it as um, coffee or cake or beer, which are, you know, three classic cycling uh, foods. And so the equivalent of buying me a coffee every month is uh, £2. The equivalent of buying me a slice of cake every month is £4.50. Um, the equivalent of uh, buying me a, a pint of beer every month well you know i live near oxford so it's very <laughs> uh, yes. but it is that sort of thing and i am i am 100 comfortable with whatever feels good for you if you want uh if you want to support it for two pounds a month that is absolutely brilliant if you've had a terrific holiday with cycle travel and maybe you want to give a bit more for a month or two that's fine but um you know i'm I am honestly honoured by the um, by what people say about the site and uh, how it has found them to uh, found good holidays for people. So yeah, uh, whatever you feel comfortable with. So so you, you talk about people there. So you have a community, yeah, uh, on the site. So basically, it's not just you um, contributing advice, information, um, maybe even brickbats. Um, so, so tell me about the community aspect of, of cycle travel. So I have, for example, a, a forum on cycle travel, uh, just a sort of standard web forum where people can give feedback and suggestions. Uh, there's also a place where you can post travelogues. So if you've been for a ride and, um, you want to say a bit about it, upload a few photos, then there's a place for you to do that. And I'm, I'm going to be building more on that in the next year. But what I also try and do is engage and support in other forums, other locations. So, for example, on the Cycling UK forum, there is now, I think, a 100-page thread, which is all about cycle travel. And it started off with someone saying, hey, I've just discovered this, uh, and it found me a good route. And then as people have got into it, they have said, okay, yeah, it's done this. Or why did it send me that way? Or could I could I um, maybe have this extra feature? So I've tried to, you know, interact with the community wherever they may be and have it um uh, have the app and the site evolve along with that and to a certain extent now i think you know cycle travel is kind of the pet routing app of the cycling uk forum for example uh, because so many people there have said oh this is great but wouldn't it be good if you could just do this and i think yeah okay i can make it do that and it, it is very much meant to be that it's meant to be something that uh, reflects the way that this sort of this sort of cyclist uh, enjoys riding. Uh, I'm I'm not going to start developing stuff for the Strava crowd because it's not meant to do that. It's not meant to be about performance or athleticism. Mm. Or it might be the Strava for that. They do it much better than I ever would. Uh, but for tourers and for leisure riders and for people who like quiet routes through cities all of that then you know i try to engage with people get their ideas because i don't have a monopoly on good ideas there's so much more that you get if you're going out talking to people well you've got a new supporter 
So I just thought, <laughs> how quickly can, how easy was that? And while you were chatting there, the iPhone is done, because it's all like LinkedIn, and I've had to go across to my bank and okay it. But you, you now have a new monthly supporter. You've sold oh, me. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Guys. Um, <laughs> um, so I, sh- I, sh- I, mean, I will be using it, obviously. I think, what, do you know what it sold me? Uh, was the audience survey part. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it's like, oh, hang on. You mean I can, I mean, I, I pay for audience survey, so I've got it on View Ranger. And so I can do some of what you're, 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 you're doing there, but it's got to, it's probably myself. I mean, a lot of the time I will probably do this myself. So I will just sit there plotting between, you know, the, the points I want to go and see. Then I'll, 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 I'll spew that out and I'll put it into, probably into a, um, into a garment or something, uh, or in fact, yeah, a, bee, a beeline. I'll probably hook it up with a, a beeline and just send the GPS and then it just uh, sends me there. But then at other times it's like, well, I don't know really where I want to go. I, I want somebody to kind of like hold my hand and, and show me where to go. So the fact that I can put OS in as the map, that sold me. Brilliant. Good. So obviously, Good. I like OpenStreetMap. I love it. Um, but you're right in what you were saying in that it's almost that, that the countryside in, in, a, in a Brit's mind is probably an ordnance survey. Certainly a, a, a Brit of a certain age <laughs> is, is probably uh, an ordnance survey is, is how you visualize. It's almost when you go abroad, it's like, oh, why can't I have ordnance survey everywhere? Oh, and I know. Then, I know. And one of the things I would love to be able to do, uh, and, you know, this is sort of, uh, we all have our ambitions, but I would love to be able to make Cycle Travel's own mapping uh, that good for the rest of the world. So that if you are going cycling in, in particularly the States, uh, the state of mapping in the States is quite, quite something. And, mm. uh, you know, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to fine-tune cycle travels routing in the US because it is a really difficult problem to solve. Um, but yeah, you know, every, everyone deserves good maps. Well, there you go. I've, I've now, so I, I plotted a route. Well, it's just basically, it's just gone to, to obviously my home location and I've just switched the map across, dead easy. And there it is. Oh, look, there it is. And that's, that's, that's my mind map. It's literally my mind map is probably an online survey. But, you know, if I would then switch across to another map because you're not going to use one map. You know, we are we are now we've got a richness of maps. So you would probably then go I'd visualize that as um, but you wouldn't use that as turn by turn, whereas OpenStreetMap is better for turn by turn. Yes. Than an yes, ordinance survey because ordinance yeah. survey works to a certain scale. And then it gets to a, you know, unless you're, you know, you, you're getting the, you know, the building, you know, version of ordinance survey, which you're not got. You've got down to 25,000 yeah. there, haven't yeah. you, rather? You don't go any further than 25,000, do you? No, exactly. Zoom in, zoom exactly. in, zoom in. No, right, you're not. So you, you're 25,000. Um, so you kind of, that's something that is is perfect for a certain visualization. And then I'd probably switch across. Yeah, absolutely. And for actual uh, riding, I wouldn't use it. No, I, I agree. It, it's it's good as a planning map and, mm. uh, and an inspiration map. Uh, and it was also, uh, it was one of these things that actually getting Ordnance Survey mapping into the iPhone app was stratospherically difficult um, because I, I won't go too much into the technical aspects of these things. But as you know, Ordnance Survey uses Eastings and Northings. That's how a grid reference works. It has this lovely um, kilometre mm. square grid. Um, pretty much every other map in the rest of the world i'm simplifying hugely here but pretty much every other map in the rest of the world uses latitude and longitude and that means that the mapping software uh, is written to think latitude and longitude uh, so when you're trying to shoehorn ordnance survey maps into something that was made for um 
OpenStreetMap style mapping, the amount of maths you have to do uh, to get, get that to work is colossal and cycle travel has got you know probably about 200 lines of code which is all about doing the conversion between easting and northing and latitude and longitude mm. that sort of thing. uh i had to sit down after doing all of that and uh, you know give myself a bit of a break because it was pretty, pretty intense but it was worth it mm. Mm. well you, you now have a new supporter um and I, I shall be using that um, well, uh, pop up on the forum and or, or on the Cycling UK thread or or drop me a line on Twitter and say, okay, um, I've started using it. I would like it to do this or why doesn't it do this? Because that's the feedback that makes it better. And I'd love to hear that. Okay, I shall do. Um, in the meantime, though, um, I, I've, I've been fascinated by your enthusiasm. <laughs> this this is this is absolutely shone through. Um, people listening to this will will obviously uh, will will understand uh, why they should become a supporter because you're clearly incredibly enthusiastic about this. And thank you for talking me through um, how to use it uh, because that was also eye opening. That's that that was good. I mean, I when when you were talking, I then flicked it between when it was on the 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 lens into John O'Groats. And then flicked it through to nighttime gravel. It's like, oh, oh, that's that's quite cute. I, I, I definitely like the nighttime version. That's like that's that's really really sensible. A um, uh, bit of advice you, you you got there to improve that. Um, but um, cycle dot travel is obviously where uh, you, you you get the, the the website, and then you can go and get the app, etc. Including uh, very soon, as you just said, an Android app. How about you, Richard? So where, where can people find you on social media? And we'll wrap up with, uh, with, with where we can find you on social media. Okay, so on Twitter, I am Richard F, uh, or there's also a Cycle Travel account, which is Cycle underscore Travel. Um, there's Cycle Travel on Facebook as well. Um, you can search for that. Uh, and as I say, I'm I pop up on the various forums, so Cycling UK, Reddit, that sort of thing, Cycle Chat. So you can usually uh, flag me down there and say, "Hey, get your site to do this." And this is an international podcast, so you have uh, talked about this just a, a wee bit. But cycle travel—this is not a British site. You you can do stuff if you are a gl- a world traveller. Absolutely. So at the moment, it does um, Britain and Europe. Uh, it does the uh, North Northern America, so that's the US, Canada, and Mexico, uh, and it does Australia and New Zealand. I very much adapt the routing to each of an individual country. Uh, there are roads are different the world over um paths cycling infrastructure is different the world over so there are subtly different things in for example the u.s routing or the french routing from the british routing um and yeah you can use it to find a route from dieppe to the tip of the boot in italy you can use it to find a route from um new york san francisco and people do so have a play around Thanks to Richard Fairhurst there, and thanks to you for listening to episode 337 of the Spokesman podcast, brought to you in association with Turn Bicycles. Show notes and more can be found at the-spokesman.com. Episode 338 is a chat with the Chief Operations Officer at BikeMap, and it's available for your downloading pleasure right now. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.